Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome back to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. And this is Zena Island, and thank you for listening to our show. Access to capital remains one of the greatest barriers for women trying to launch, scale, and grow their businesses. In conjunction with Women's History, the National Women's Business Council has released a report under their Access to Capital pillar titled, Understanding the Landscape, Access to Capital for Women Entrepreneurs. The goal of this report is to support the National Women's Business Councils in establishing a knowledge base about women business owners, leaders, entrepreneurs' access to capital. This report represents a high-level situational analysis exploring major issues and developments affecting women entrepreneurs to inform the council's framework for defining research priorities and engagement efforts. And today we're talking to Dolores Lori Rowan, the Associate Director of Policy and Research at the National Women's Business Council. Dolores has conducted research with a singular devotion. Her passion for quantitative analysis started as a research assistant in her undergraduate program. This led to a research fellowship in graduate school where she worked extensively on political and economic research and international relations. Dolores graduated from Manhattan College with a bachelor's degree in government and psychology. She holds a master's in diplomacy and international relations from Seton Hall University where she specialized in international economics and development as well as Latin American and Caribbean studies. Dolores is committed to empowering and supporting women and children through volunteer efforts domestically and abroad. She has served in Kenya, Honduras, Mexico, and the Dominican Republic. She is also the recipient of the Harold E. Hazelton Humanities Medal and the Ryan Medal for Government. So Dolores, welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you in studio. Thank you so much for having me and for promoting the council's research. Absolutely. So before we dig into the details of the report, which we're all so excited to talk about, we've read it and obviously we've talked to you a little bit, um, tell us more about the National Women's Business Council and the importance of doing this report and the research. So the National Women's Business Council has actually been around since 1988. We were created with landmark legislation called H.R. 5050, or the Women's Business Ownership Act. Um, this piece of legislation actually created two entities, the Office of Women Business Ownership at the Small Business Administration and the National Women's Business Council. And what we're charged with doing is creating research and policy initiatives that promote uh, women, women's business ownership. And then we take that policy and we go back to the White House, Congress, and Small Business Administration with policy recommendations, trying to make sure that whenever they're thinking about how to support women business owners or how to support business owners, 
that they're not forgetting about women businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do this through research um, on social, entrepre- social enterprises, women of color, high growth businesses. It's a really diverse portfolio. We try to make sure that we are meeting the needs of women regardless of what stage of business they are. And that's important to us as well, especially since we're focusing on statistically underrepresented voices. And so we're happy that you will take some of the input that we have and that our listeners have back to that. Do you want to define the four pillars and how the research plugs into uh, the report and the pillars that you're talking about? So the current report that we are um, talking about, our Access to Capital report, is actually the first of four reports that the council is doing. The um, pillars that we're looking at are access to capital, access to markets, resources for women entrepreneurs um, and development programs, as well as economic impact. Now, this is supposed to be a foundational piece. We're really doing literature reviews of research that's been conducted in the last seven to 10 years. And this is high quality research, peer reviewed research that is um, determining what the current climate is for women business owners and how we can then take this information and fill in the gaps in research. Um, so that we're we're not necessary. So that we're making sure that we are meeting the needs of, of our constituents, the women business owner. Um, and so the the report uh, the pillars themselves are political, which we're talking about um, government policies. We're talking about programs that the government is is doing to impact and promote women business ownership or business ownership in general. Um, we're talking about the economic level, which is this mi- the microeconomic level, trade, industry, venture capital, um, anything, interest rates, anything that's impacting business owners on this this economics um, s- status. Uh, we're also looking at social uh, impacts, such as uh, demographic research, sociocultural, family, work-life balance, educational attainment, um, and then technology, which is really the infrastructure, the technology that's supporting business owners. So all four of our reports will be approaching um, research via this this four-pillar model. So let me ask a couple questions about this. So the report itself doesn't have any um, independent research in it. You're basically doing a research, a review of the research that's already out there and a review of the research that's been out there 18 months ago or, or prior. Did I get that right? Yeah. Usually the council does do original research. We do quantitative and qualitative research. We wanted to take a step back from that and make sure that the research that we were conducting actually met the gaps in, um, in, in the field, but also that we're providing um, women entrepreneurs with the base level and, and policymakers with the base level of information. So when you read an access to capital report on venture capital funding, usually the literature review is only talking about VC funding. And then we can't have this holistic landscape this that, that really makes someone new to the administration or someone who's really trying to understand the issues regarding access to capital, all of the information. And what we, th- this isn't 100% inclusive, but I think the, our research really goes into these like, top studies that deal with access to capital over a huge spectrum and makes it really succinct and clear for the reader so that they have um, a good foundation before they move forward. So I know we're going to talk a lot about um, the areas that we focus on, right, which is um, entrepreneurs that are in the angel and VC mm-hmm. startup ecosystem. But before we do that, then let me just qual- let me just make sure I'm understanding a couple other pieces. So all of these reports 
that are co- that are forthcoming, this one and the, the ones that are, haven't yet been released, are going to be dealing with these four pillars, political, economic, social, and technological. Yeah. And are they all also doing research, uh, sorry, research review, or are any of them going to be doing their ind- their independent research yet? None of these are independent research. Got so it. we are actually working with the Library of Congress on this report, um, and they have a pretty big charge that they're not going to be um, offering policy recommendations or anything that is biased in any way or doing any quantitative analysis. So um, that is another great benefit about this research is that it's non-biased. It's really it's it's really elevating top level research to the to the community. So for people who are really interested, they would be able to find these reports and say, okay, here's what's out here, out there, and here's the best of what's out there right now as far as research on women and business. Exactly. Is that right? Okay. Um, so Christina and I are angel investors. Let's talk a little bit about the research finding, particularly. Um, that states that regardless of gender, both men and women are more likely to invest in men. Mm -hmm. So that actually is from um, this past June in 2017, uh, the Harvard Business Review released this report that was really interesting. It talked about the questions that men and women were being asked and really that men were being asked questions that they considered potential for gain questions while women were being asked what they considered potential for loss questions. And what they found is 67% of men were asked these uh, promotion-oriented questions, so about their hopes, their achievements, their dreams, their ideals. Um, And then about 66% of women were asked questions about responsibility, safety, security, vigilance. And an example of this is like a man might be asked a question like what are the major – your major achievements that you're looking forward to in the next year. And then a woman might be asked a question, what issues do you think will be really problematic for you in the next year? And they found that regardless of gender, men and women investors uh, were, were doing this. We're asking these promotion these promotion questions or this potential for gain, gain questions for men and these promotion or potential for loss questions for women. And one of the reasons why this is really important is the researchers also found that um, you're, you're more likely to get funded higher amounts of money with promotion questions. And you know if women are being asked these questions where they have to defend their business right away, rather than show the, show the vision of the business, it will have an effect on how much they're actually gonna be funded. So let's talk about some of these assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. So we know that across the board, um, there aren't that many women investors. Right, so I think anytime you're doing a sample size, and there's not that many VC investors total either, right? So when you're, whenever you're doing a sample size that is smaller, mm-hmm. there's always room for error, if you will. And, and that's not to say that I don't think that the research is valid or useful. I definitely right. think it is. And I think particularly for Christina and I who are really interested and involved in Pipeline Angels, which is an organization that specifically looks to um, invest in companies that are led by women or at least have a woman that's part of the C-suite, part of the co-founders. It's really good for us to think about how we might be part of that ecosystem and how we can mm-hmm. better monitor ourselves, right? Um, and I want to talk a little bit about what might be some of the assumptions in the research because mm-hmm. of either number sizes or because those particular investors weren't necessarily looking to promote women or other kinds of things, right? And then I have some other thoughts about the fact that women investors and women um, 
when we think about business, we just think about business and numbers differently than mm -hmm. men do right. generally. Um, I think that's actually a really valid point. None of these researchers were specific, or none of these investors were specifically focused on women only, from my understanding of the research. Um, that wasn't something that they were trying to promote. In fact, there was as much uh, kind of neutral, they were trying to be as neutral as possible, um, or that's what at least the the research is supposed to be doing, um, but that is, that is actually really interesting to think about what the investor themselves, um, what their motivation is. If it if the end, it's just you know, if it's women focused or not. Well, and also I think, um, as as you know, I've heard about the research, and actually as you and I were talking previously, I was thinking about the kinds of questions that I mm -hmm. ask, right, mm -hmm. <laughs> and realizing I probably do ask a lot more questions that perhaps might be defensive related than vision related. Um, and there's, there's, I'm sure, certain individual pieces of that. But what part of that is, for me, culturally, you know, maybe not mandated, but certainly guided, you know. But then also when we think about that, how can we, how can we bring in the factor that we know, for example, that um, women investors tend to do better, women led businesses tend to do better. Um, and so perhaps Either if they're asked harder questions, they're doing better, which that's not to say let's ask everybody harder questions, but maybe we should ask, be asking men harder questions, mm -hmm. right? And how can we also allow women to have those real visioning type questions? Yeah, and I, I think I'm the same. I, I definitely ask defending questions just because I need, I want to understand the business. And as an angel investor, you're putting your own money in. And mm -hmm. so it really matters uh, to me has a person thought through their vision, their partnerships, their you know, business model, their plan? Is it going to be the same in the first for one to three years, uh, to three to five? Is it going to change? Um, but then I also asked the promotional, and I, I didn't de define it as that. Mine is more, why did they get started? I want to know the driver, yeah. because I want to make sure that that driver doesn't change based on trend. I want to make sure it's in the actual entrepreneur or the team. Um, and so I think the sample size is critical, and I would pipeline angels and others like this organization, um, you know, just on the, the docket for future research, just to make sure that those voices are also included uh, in the sample size. And I agree with you that there's nothing in my mind when I was mm -hmm. reading over the questions, they, some of the potential for loss questions were really strong. Yeah. I don't think that those are negative questions. What I think is, is when men and women are being asked different, different. questions exactly. and men aren't being asked these potential for loss questions mm -hmm. as aggressively as women are. Um, and we do have some kind of, rec the, we do have, the, the researchers do offer recommendations about promoting unconscious bias mm -hmm. training and seeing, to, to investors to make sure that they're aware that this is something that's happening in how they ask questions. Um, and also that women business centers and other organizations can promote, teach women how to turn a promotion, a prevention question into a promotion question. Mm, that'd be great. Um, so there, there are definitely ways for us to kind of counter that and for mm -hmm. women business owners to be aware that when they're pitching, they also have some responsibility in kind of figuring out how to promote their business and answer the question. Um, and we're always trying to do research you um, in the in this area too. So this was a third party research from HBR, mm -hmm. um, but this is always an interest to us to figure out how women are actually interacting with investors. Absolutely. When I first heard about the research, I thought about the study right where they started taking orchestra um, auditions behind the curtain, mm -hmm. right? Um, and for those who haven't heard about this uh, research, the 
thought was that men were just better mm-hmm. uh, players in, in orchestra. And then when they started doing um, auditions behind a curtain, they found that there was a lot more women that magically became part of these <laughs> orchestras, right? So part of what I was also thinking about was what if we asked everybody the same questions, right? Right. right? right. So lots I think of I think that would be more fair if we could just ask everyone the same questions, but how can we make that happen across the board? And you know, we're in different ecosystems all over the country. One of the things I want to talk more about um, is the research on gender bi- uh, gender mm-hmm. bi- bias. I found that to be very interesting. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, and that actually kind of loops into mm-hmm. this the other research that you had said about this what the image is and how that could affect um, whether or not they receive an uh, audition or um, so there was actually research that was done which I found find really interesting because basically they gave men and women the same exact pitches and uh, they found that women were um, perceived as that their business plans were perceived as less viable Mm -hmm. than the male business plans even though they were identical um, and then they also found that the investor's ability to think that they, the entrepreneur could actually execute that, that plan was also different depending on gender. And then it went into, there was a, another piece of research that also went into how physical appearance even affects this. So, for example, they found um, that investors tended to prefer men who pitched over women. And then they also actually preferred attractive men over you know unattractive men to some extent like they just they perceived it as a, a greater a more viable business mm-hmm. um, and that women didn't actually feel that effect but um, in the the first study that I was discussing something that they did find was a mitigator of gender bi- uh, gender bias was innovation so if women could present these really innovative business plans it actually reduced uh, the negative effects of gender bias that they were experiencing. Um, so that's that's kind of a, a great thing to know that women are presenting these really innovative plans, mm-hmm. and that's part of what's causing them to actually get funded and kind of going above this gender bias. I think that's interesting. It just it, it reminded me uh, there was a um, investor who ended up uh, selling her company, but she tells a story about she pitched, you know, I want to say hundreds of times, maybe it was twenty times mm-hmm. or so, um, with no bites from uh, um, anyone, and finally she hired a male to pitch for her and her company was acquired and so the the research is right unfortunately and so I think it's up to us up to our you know our listeners our entrepreneurs to really think about how we change change this behavior in this culture and individually think about uh, if you're an investor how you're asking the question as an entrepreneur how you're presenting that idea Mm -hmm. because when I hear you also say you know, when women present innovative, to me, they're bringing passion, they're bringing the art of the impossible almost to life, and people are attracted to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But what if you're bringing a solid, viable business plan that may not be as sexy or attractive or innovative, but more efficient? You know, how do you actually present that so that people will listen, especially the, um, the investors? Yeah, I, I agree with Christina. I um, actually, I know someone personally who had to hire a white male, she's African-American, to pitch for her and to pitch for her business. And she noticed an increase in the pitch competitions and winning um, uh, winning mm-hmm. them. So that, that actually is a disturbing fact to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to figure out what do we need to do to change it? At this point, and um, and and because when she told me she had to hire him to help her, 
because I know the, the guy as well, to help her win some of these pitch competitions. My question is, what do we need to do to help make some changes around this based on the research that you have? Well, I think it does kind of relay back to promoting um, gender bias, not gender bias, the unconscious bias <laughs> training mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. to investors and to stakeholders and to people who are in charge of processing loans. Mm -hmm. And yep. um, I'm going to do a little bit of pitch for we, we for the Dodd-Frank um, Section 1071, where um, we're kind of want demographic information collected for bankers to mm -hmm. see if there's actually some bias in how loans are being processed. Are women actually less credit worthy? Are they actually getting denied at higher rates? There's a lot of external research that shows this, mm -hmm. um, but we really want those raw numbers from the government that demonstrate that there is there is a systematic issue right now where um, it it's trying to retrain an entire culture, it right. looks like. Um, to demonstrate that women are doing really well. They're growing. The number of firms for women-owned businesses are growing. The number of receipts, the number of employees, all of this is growing. Um, and, and why is it so difficult for women entrepreneurs to actually get that funding or get that the support that they need if they are such an important component to this economy? Right. Well, and I think from my standpoint, two things. Number one, the more we talk about it and the more we highlight it, mm -hmm. the more we can do mm -hmm. to be really clear that yeah, talking about and to and for underrepresented entrepreneurs in this ecosystem is important, right? And there are there is clear data that shows that there's biases that are happening. Um, the other thing that I say and I've said for years is that women are culture creators. And I think that's what's so powerful about all of this too, right? Christina, when you were talking about women coming up with these really innovative ideas and that we're we can be passionate about things and we're creating culture obviously with our kids and mm -hmm. how we talk about things and what we do with them and so to the extent we can use some of this and then go in positive directions I think there's there's some real potential here as long as we know about it right, right. and we're not kind of doing things the way things have always been done which is a problem Right, and um, I know that when I had mentioned the HBR article, you guys were reflecting on your questions and how mm -hmm. you ask it. And now that you know, part when you're asking questions, if you, I mean, you invest in women, but mm -hmm. these are in the they're in the back of your mind. And if mm -hmm. other angel investors can have access to this information, even knowing about it might help them ask mm -hmm. questions that will promote a more equitable investing community. Right. Um, so that's what we're here doing on the government level. We, we continue to be a, the government's only independent voice for women <laughs> entrepreneurs. So I'm going to do that pitch for the National <laughs> Women's Business Council. I love it. <laughs> so, so one of the things, I love the findings that came out of the report, um, but those who know me know that I love data, so much of it, and metrics. And So can you explain where you get the data mm -hmm. from? Um, and then I've got another question after that. Sure. So the data that we use is really diverse. Mm -hmm. um, for our own research reports, the ones where we are doing quantitative and qualitative analysis, uh, we often use the survey of business owners, which is um, every five years, so years that end in two and seven. Um, so a lot of the numbers we talk about are really from 2012, which I know sounds really late. Uh, you know, it's already 2018, but that is um, a, a representative sample. It's publicly available information. Um, it's done by the U.S. Census. It's really reputable. Um, and, you know, they have just started their 2017 collection. So mm -hmm. we will have new numbers regarding uh, the census of business owners. Now, we also use the American Community Survey. 
we tend to rely really heavily on publicly available information. And I don't want to get too into the weeds of why we do that, mm -hmm. um, but we do want representative samples and we do want to make sure that we can slice data by race and ethnicity mm -hmm. um, and other factors. Um, we also do independent research where we collect information. Like currently, we are doing focus groups on millennial entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in Boston last week. We're going to be going to L.A. and Denver in April. So that'll give us that nuanced kind of the storytelling aspect that some of these hard quantitative um, analyses don't actually give you. We can't learn about motivations of starting your business or limitations or what's preventing you from growing on a binary question sometimes. Right. Um, and we ourselves have developed a survey to try to get out this um, this kind of the nuances that we really are interested in, uh, but we haven't uh, pushed forward that survey yet to the public. So we're working on it, trying mm -hmm. to have really strong data. Um, we love when private companies or organizations want to talk to us about their data. Uh, we have a report that will be coming out on the 28th um, on Kickstarter, and we have a report that'll be coming out on the 28th on Kiva and crowdfunding. Um, and the, both those entities offered us their data, um, and we have the privilege and the ability to analyze it through a gendered lens, hmm. specifically looking at the social network. Um, and, and that was really innovative for us because a lot of Kickstarter and Kiva data, or a lot of crowdfunding research is done with um, scraping information from the web which increases some of the, the, the error. So mm -hmm. we have this raw data. Let, let me ask one question about the data. Um, Christine, I know you had a, had a follow-up question, but we've been talking about women, mm -hmm. and yet I know there are folks who don't find themselves on the gender binary in quite those hard terms, mm -hmm. right? So do you have data, or is there any place people can find data for folks who might be, like for example, non-binary femme? That's a good question. We personally don't have that information, um, and it is something that we, I think we need to look at. Yeah. So w one of the questions I had, you, so we talked about um, different questions that we can ask as investors. Mm -hmm. you, you kind of just started highlighting the social network. I think we'll talk about that in a minute when we talk about crowdfunding. Um, you also talked about um, working with banks, um, looking at their data and who, who they're giving money to, um, how much the loans might be. Part of your report talks about the types of capital and the difference in men and women, how they approach capital. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? So women tend to use um, their credit cards, they, and high interest credit cards at that often. They are three times less likely to access equity financing or angel investments, um, venture capitalists. So they tend to have a greater, as we say, social network mm -hmm. rather than these strategic partners that men tend to have, which can invest in their business. Um, so women often do a lot of bootstrapping and they don't want to acquire debt. Mm -hmm. So they do bootstrapping as their main source of income while men will do bootstrapping plus. They'll make sure that they have the supplemental um, income as well. Now, something that is also really interesting in the findings, it shows that women um, have more unmet credit needs. So it, it's not only that they're accessing lower levels of capital, they're accessing different types of capital, but they need more capital. Um, the, and and it's, it's kind of a pipeline issue. If you, if you don't have the capital to start and grow your business, you're, everything else is gonna be longer, right. it's gonna be harder for you. So part of what we wanna know is like how can, first, what is the right amount of capital? That's a hard question mm -hmm. for us to ask. And um, when we go into the crowdfunding research, we'll sh I'll talk a little bit about goal setting. Okay. But 
it, it is interesting to see actually how women and men are approaching getting capital. Are more women um, using um, techniques like crowdfunding? Are they leaning more towards that since they're bootstrapping? So it's not that more women are using crowdfunding. Actually, about 30% of women are in the crowdfunding, are, are doing ca crowdfunding campaigns. They tend to be more successful than their men in crowdfunding. So on average for this Kickstarter data that we had analyzed, we had done an original study on Kickstarter, not on the social network, but specifically just looking at some of the, the demographics and how Kickstarter is laying out. And we found that women were 46 percent more likely to be successfully funded um, in crowdfunding campaigns. And we have a few hypotheses for why that's um, happening. And, and that's where the teaser is going to be for waiting until the 28th for those two reports, because I think that they are really strong and they show us um, some strategic ways in which women can improve their overall crowdfunding success. I'm really excited to hear more about that and see those <laughs> reports come out. Um, and I'm going to actually jump into some questions on crowdfunding. But before I do, I want to make sure that we're not missing anything in these narratives about men and women and capital, right? So um, you talked a little bit about the different research that has come out, and in particular in venture capital funding, like that there's they're being asked different questions and that maybe they're being seen differently and their age we talked about age, I think, a little bit, about attractiveness level, about innovation, how all of these different things affect women entrepreneurs. Are there other narratives that you want to kind of pull out from this research and just talk about? I mean, not from, from this research. I we, we really focused on kind of the differences between mm -hmm. men and women. Uh, but I think overall, from speaking with women all over the country and from having focus groups like they, they really are innovative they're really passionate they're socially aware um, when they're talking about their business they're holistic they're thinking long term they're thinking about employment they're trying to figure out how to pay off their student loans and start a business mm -hmm. um, so there's some real amazing women that I have the privilege of meeting that I don't think this research really goes into we're really talking about numbers and we're talking about incorporation we're talking about how they're setting up their business structure and and kind of these finite um things that we can measure or that researchers can measure, but that's not always the whole story. Mm. Um, and I, I'm very blessed to be able to go and interact with all of these women who always astonish me. Um, I'm gonna make a pitch for the Women Business Centers here and the Innovate Her Challenge, which mm -hmm. is, is coming up, mm -hmm. where you see these women who have these amazing pitches and they're thinking about like ways to imp improve security for women who are walking home to make sure that they feel more secure and trying to figure out how that can be a, a great business model too. They're thinking about breast pumps. They're, they're thinking about all of these challenges that women face and they're trying to do it usually from a very aware and socially conscious way. Or from, that's the experience I have. Um, so, <laughs> well, and that makes me think of something that Natalia Alberto Nogueira, founder of Pipeline Angel, says a lot, right? That when women come up with these kind of socially conscious ideas, people say to them, oh, are you going to start a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. Whereas men are like, oh, you're a social entrepreneur, right? right? And so, again, kind of how do we create these spaces to really allow women to build businesses that are meeting needs mm -hmm. and being thoughtful and game changing? and make some good money at the same time, right? right? Yeah. And I've actually uh, had an opportunity to judge on Innovate Her, mm -hmm. one of those um, pitch competitions. And you're right, a lot of them came up with some amazing ideas. Some of them I, I didn't think about because, one, I'm not a mother. And right. a lot of them were mothers. And they thought of some very innovative 
um, ideas to help the mother and the, the mother plus the entrepreneur to be more successful. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad to hear you're going to be doing more of those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we know that these are successful business models. You do not necessarily, if you wanna run a nonprofit, wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but that is something, I, I remember being in New York once and on a panel and there was a, a woman who was talking about how she had to justify why she wasn't doing a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, I, I have the right to make money too. I have the right to live mm -hmm. and promote a good product and I can do that and I can show you that I can do that Absolutely. we had a, have a council member um, Sherry Deutschman or she just is rolled off of the council I believe um, and she was the founder of letter logic and she's awesome she's, awesome. she's great and she basically does a profit-sharing model and she when there are individuals in her business who want to be entrepreneurs, she does training programs. She makes sure that you have a way to get to work. She really cares about her business. And she talks about the story. And when she was being, um, some of her investors or some of her board were kind of talking to her about how she can't have this profit sharing model. She, and she was like, I'm making money. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, this is a multi-million dollar business. And she was a champion of change. And she, she can demonstrate that I can promote a business that has a great culture, has loyal employees who are happy here, who want to show up every single day, who understand what the cost of a paperclip is and why they have to make sure they're not throwing that away. And they're more invested in my business. Um, so she's, she's, we have a, an amazing group of council members. I, I forgot to say that, but there are 15 women on, 15 people on the council itself. Um, and uh, six of them are representatives from organizations all mm -hmm. over the world, uh, all over the US. And um, eight are business owners, half of the president's party, half not of the president's party. Mm -hmm. um, and then one is a presidentially appointed chair. Currently, we have Carla Harris, who's our chair. Mm -hmm. She's awesome. Yeah, too. she is awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we have a good group of women, um, and we really believe in bipartisan communication and making sure that we promote non bias mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I forgot that in the beginning. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all right. Good. That's good. And you, you just reminded to us, yeah, too, that while the numbers tell a story, being a data person, the numbers mm -hmm. tell a story, but it's really women who have created new narratives and a new story mm -hmm. and a new reality, not just for themselves, but their employers, their partners, their families, and that's a legacy driving change. So thank you for that. Can you discuss the research on black and Hispanic women? I'm very interested in learning a little bit more about what, you know, specifically what you're doing. Sure. So we um, commissioned two studies, one on black women entrepreneurs, one on Hispanic women entrepreneurs. Both were released in fiscal, oh, well, I guess September. So in the last year, year mm -hmm. and a half. Um, and just some of the top level numbers is uh, deal with um, how currently we have 1.5 million black owned women businesses. Um, and that's an increase of about 67% since 2007. So they are one of the fastest growing segments. Black and Hispanic women are the fastest growing segments. I'm one of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one thing I actually find really interesting is that nearly 60% of black owned businesses are women owned. It's the only major ethnic or racial group um, that has more women than men. Mm -hmm. So I do find that really interesting that these these uh, trends are showing that black women owned businesses are really invested in their community. They're really, um, and that's part of the research where we're talking about uh, legacy building and mm -hmm. why they're starting businesses. And we're also seeing that they are, um, they're promote, they have their job creators in uh, 2007. They from 2007 to 2012, they put in about 70 uh, 71,000 additional jobs compared to men uh, black owned businesses who um, had about 11,000 mm -hmm. additional jobs. So they're also you know starting to be job creators. 
Uh, some of the narrative is also a little um, interesting when we look at average receipts. They tend to have the lowest average, average receipts of any racial or ethnic group. You're talking about $27,000, $28,000 in average receipts. So we're really trying mm. to figure out what's going on with these businesses. Are they just new businesses? Um, you know, because the growth rate is so extreme, maybe maybe that's kind of what's going on with these average receipts being so low. Is it really some issues regarding uh, what they have access to and resources and capital? Uh, but we had conducted um, focus groups, too, in different locations like D.C. and New York. Um, and a lot of the women were talking about how they there was some fear regarding whether or not they were going to get rejected from loans they didn't want to actually apply. Mm. Um, some of the women were talking about really this want, that they were starting businesses to create a legacy, that they wanted something to pass on to their children, that they really wanted to improve their community. So they seemed to have a really socially aware mm. um, understanding. Uh so, so that was really great research. Now, our research on Hispanic women-owned businesses really wanted to look at the fact that Hispanic women are not necessarily a homogeneous group, that there's a lot of diversity. Some are black, some are Asian. There's so much. Some are foreign-born, some are born uh, or domestic, and they have differences in needs based off of educational attainment, linguistic, linguistic ability, mm-hmm. um, And especially when they're trying to do pitch competitions, they have sometimes cultural barriers. So we really wanted to look at like a nuanced approach to how that impacts their businesses. Um, And they actually have the fastest growing, fastest growing um, increases from since 2007. Some people, some organizations have even projected that from 2007 to 2016. So. Again, these are projection numbers. They've grown about 137%, that there might be 1.9 million Hispanic women-owned businesses, um, but that there is a great amount of potential for these businesses because they have revenues of about 97 billion, but if they had revenues that match their proportionality of Mm -hmm. like the number of businesses that they should be, or that they are, then we'd see those revenues increase to one, uh, 155 billion. Yeah, so they're even though they represent um, a large amount of women-owned businesses, the, the receipts that they're taking in are, are less than what they're representing in the in the the pie, basically. And what are those numbers generally? The average receipts for Hispanic women are about 53,000. Um, American Indian women are 69,000, Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander 75,000, mm-hmm. Asian American 181,000, and uh, non-minority 189,000. And for black women, you said over 23,000. 20, 20, 20. It's 27.7, so about 28,000. 28, and, yeah. and do you think that it's because of the, the lack of investment? Because you know a lot of black um, women-owned businesses are not getting any type of investing. Actually, it's like less than 1%. And do you think I know you don't mm-hmm. know overall, mm-hmm. but do you think that's part of the problem? So I actually think part of the problem in general for women-owned businesses is, I, actually, I don't want to say problem, but it's something to think about mm-hmm. um, where women-owned businesses are deciding to start their businesses. Mm-hmm. A lot of women are starting it in services or really low industry, uh, low receipt industries. Mm-hmm. They're not really pushed towards tech. They're not really pushed towards STEM. They're really not pushed towards. Um, manufacturing or some of these really high mm-hmm. receipt industries 
And that might just be how we have to start training the next generation mm -hmm. and training the current entrepreneurs to say, hey, yes, you have that really great idea, but actually this is how it can be parlayed into the tech world or this is how it can be parlayed into other arenas to make that scalable. But if you're, if you're working out of your home or if you're working, there's a lot of women who are daycares, a lot of women who are doing beauty supplies or, um, and, and I know that sounds stereotypical, mm -hmm. but right. that's what the numbers are showing yeah. is that it, it's really hard if you're a solo entrepreneur too. Mm -hmm. Um, only 2% of women-owned businesses make over a million dollars. 90% are solo entrepreneurs. They have no employees. Right. Um, so it, it's how do we create businesses where we can develop an economy where we're creating, um, where we're having employees, where we're having kind of a growth-oriented mindset, if that's what you want. Mm -hmm. If that, you know, th there's another narrative out there that is that if you want to be, someone who has a one-man shop and you want to pull in $100,000 in receipts or $50,000 in receipts or it's supplementing your income, then wonderful. That's that's great for you. But if you want to be a high-growth um, entity, we want to provide you with the resources and the information and the tools to reach that, um, that you don't have to narrow down what your dream is. So, so that's part of what we're here doing too. But I think that that's a really valid question. We, we don't exactly know one kind of trigger to why the receipts are so mm -hmm. low. We're still trying to figure it out, and that's part of what we were doing with our Hispanic research and our black women research, um, trying to kind of figure out what could be impacting it. But I think there's so many factors to control for. And I think a lot of those that you just mentioned mm -hmm. are all apply because you know I'm <laughs> I'm a solo entrepreneur, so and I'm trying to grow and scale my business. And when you first get started in this, you think I'm just going to do this on my own, and then eventually you realize you do need a team. Right. So I, I I agree with you 100%. So thank you for that. So let's look at crowdfunding because that is <laughs> a, that is an area that you had said to us that women tend to do better. So this isn't all this isn't all like you know, challenging or, you know, disturbing trends. There's some, there's some good news in here too. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we found that one, the, the crowdfunding ecosystem is, is huge right now. In the U.S. it's $1.5 billion. You know, there are um, various campaigns with really innovative different types of methods and different types of ideas that are out there. And our research, um, which was conducted in 2017, 2016, at first, we really wanted to look at equity crowdfunding um, because every because of the Jobs Act and kind of changes with Section Three of the Jobs Act. Um, but we found that at the time of the research, there were only about eighty-five um, companies that had successfully gotten crowdfunding dollars. And then when we dissected that a little bit more, there weren't too many women, so we didn't want to go down that route. Um, so we started looking at um, Kickstarter, a reward-based crowdfunding platform, and we really did an analysis of. Um, kind of success rates, funding goals, really trying to figure out the baseline because currently, uh, you know, then we wanted to delve deeper into certain aspects like the social network, which we're doing okay. right now. Uh, but we did find that women are outperforming men um, at, and they're, they're uh, more likely to be funded by 4.6%. And overall, there's this trend of less people getting funded in crowdfunding because there's more people participating in it. Mm -hmm. But even when you control for that, Women are still getting are still more likely to succeed in in their crowdfunding platforms, or crowdfunding campaigns. And then, some of the interesting information is that uh, 
on average, men set goals at about 21,000, 22,000. Women set goals about 14 or 15,000. So women are still setting lower goals. Interesting. Now, that actually might not be a bad thing because mm -hmm. the higher your goal is, the less likely you're going to be funded. And there is some thought here that women are setting realistic, more realistic goals and um, that some of the goals that men are setting might be too ambitious and therefore they're not getting funded to the same extent that women are getting funded. Now, part of what we, we don't want to dissuade anyone from setting ambitious goals. We just want people to make sure that they are setting ambitious and realistic goals and we don't want to. Uh, don't want women to be setting goals that are actually lower than what they should be setting them at. So there's it's a tricky balance here where what is the exact right amount, um, but women seem to be doing a really good job here. Yeah, we know we know one. Lynette, I was just going to yes, we do we do know one. On my occasion, she was uh, actually the first entrepreneur we interviewed. Um, she on was on the show. Yeah. And she raised over $20,000, right. I want to mention. So in the higher amounts, looks mm -hmm. like. And it was also her first crowdfunding campaign. Because I think there, and I was actually curious if the research that you've done or art that is coming out talked about the number of crowdfunding campaigns people have, have run. Well, it does, and like per person? Yeah, per person. It doesn't talk about the number per person. Uh, but it does, well, I, what, what did you find to be successful in your crowdfunding campaign? Well, for Lynette, I think what I thought was interesting is that she didn't know the statistics on how hard it was to raise money. And so she went about it saying this is my an avenue for me to raise money and did what she needed to to get there. Mm -hmm. And so it just it was, it was a story of resilience and just res resourcefulness. Um, so I think the the for her, what I thought was successful is just having that resiliency and that vision and putting everything out there. Mm -hmm. And it, it worked for her. And also having a kick-ass product. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's the really product is great. Um, and those of you out there who are going to listen to our show mm -hmm. about Lynette Abbott, it's called Craft My Occasion. So you can learn all about what she did with the crowdfunding campaign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there is some really interesting things in the crowdfunding space, like you were just saying. Yeah. And I'm going to make another pitch for a report. I really uh, think that, you know, we can't push this report beyond Kickstarter and Kiva because – as, good, as a good researcher, I don't want to say something is representative if it's not fully representative. Sure. So, but when we're talking about those two um, sites, I, you know, there, a little teaser here is that there are some gender differences, mm. um, but the social network is really important, and women tend to have really good social networks, mm -hmm. and men tend to have these strategic partners, and crowdfunding might lend itself better to these social networks and how women are showing resourcefulness and leveraging their social network in different ways that are maybe um, contributing to their success. Interesting. I can't mm -hmm. wait. I can't wait to, to hear that. Can't wait to have you back on the show. So, yeah, so right. you can talk That's about right. it. So we can ask all those questions. <laughs> well, in the meantime, Dolores, tell folks where to find these reports, where to like look for the reports that sure. are coming out, and to find out more about what's coming up for the council. Um, so at www.nwbc.gov, all of our reports, all of our blogs, we try to make really digestible information. We have fact sheets on every state. We have fact sheets on every major race and ethnicity group. Um, all of this can be found on our website. And we also just had a new website redesign, so it, it looks really good. Um, and we're, we're really happy with that. But nwbc.gov, you can also sign up to be on our listserv or Gov Delivery um, there too. And on the 28th at 2 p.m., we'll have um, one of our public meetings 
which will specifically be focusing on crowdfunding and access to capital. So for us, this entire month of March is access to capital focused. Mm -hmm. We've released this first report, mm -hmm. and then we're going into our two crowdfunding reports, um, and then we'll move on to a focus on access to markets. Awesome. So we're really trying to be strategic here and and kind of elevate the one of the biggest um, impediments to women is access to capital. So. Social and strategic. <laughs> I love it. And where can we find you on Twitter and on uh, social media? Um, so it's Dolores underscore Rowan, I believe. I'm not, I'm not, I'm trying really hard to be better <laughs> with, with social media. We'll um, but the NWBC does have a, a Twitter handle too, mm -hmm. NWBC, um, under, under, NWBC gov, I believe. So... It's always nationalwomensbusinesscouncil.gov in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So good to find you. Well, we are excited to have Dolores Rowan with us today on this episode. We talked about their latest report and particularly the four pillars that they're looking at when they're looking at research that has been done um, and particularly top, top level high quality research um, over recent years on women entrepreneurs and women-owned businesses. So those four pillars, again, are political, economic, social, and technological. So we're looking at all four factors. We talked a little bit about investment in women and why and how perhaps there are different levels of investment in women entrepreneurs and how we can address that and think about that more carefully. We talked about gender bias in how women receive money, how they ask for money, and how they treat money. Uh, we talked about the data, where that comes from, and specifically some interesting data on particularly black and Hispanic women entrepreneurs. And we finished talking about crowdfunding, and don't forget to go to the nwbc.gov website on the 28th of March and go get the, those new reports. And we also talked about the need for data on folks who don't identify as women, but non-binary femme or other folks on the gender spectrum. So thank you so much for being with us today, Dolores. And we're really excited to have all of our listeners make sure and check out the website, Get Found, Get Funded, and don't miss an episode.